Hello, this is Joe Alcock. Welcome to the July 4th edition of the Evolution Medicine Podcast, where we will talk about everything evolution and everything medicine, most things in between, and occasionally we'll go off topic. But today we're going to talk about Zygris, the evolutionary lesson of Zygris. Now, Zygris was a medication which was on the market uh, for most of the last uh, 15 years of this century. Uh, and I think it holds a variety of lessons for us in evolutionary medicine. But to back up a little bit, uh, this topic falls into the category of a common pitfall uh, in medical practice that could be avoided if doctors and researchers paid more attention to evolutionary principles. And we had a recent uh, blog post on this. And this is, this is an uh, example, a piece of evidence for uh, the first pitfall that we mentioned in that uh, recent blog post. This is interfering with adaptations. In other words, not recognizing host defenses in our patient's systems. So a good example of this is uh, fever. Uh, there's a lot of evidence, both from animal studies as well as human research, suggesting that fever is indeed an adaptation uh, that's been naturally selected to produce benefits. Uh, what happens when we do things to interfere with fever, like giving Tylenol or ibuprofen? Uh, that will be the topic of another podcast. Uh, but this idea that we can be inadvertently doing harm by intervening in our patient's uh, symptoms or findings, that is part of what we're going to talk about uh, during this podcast. We see a lot of patients uh, with sepsis. Sepsis is an overwhelming uh, infection um, that uh, causes a body-wide response. Uh, I've had patients during my last shift with sepsis. Uh, we see this all the time. And in fact, it's an important cause of mortality. causes 60,000 deaths yearly. It's expensive to treat. Uh, it's ex associated with a bunch of ex expensive procedures and intensive care. Uh, so it's natural that people have looked for uh, things that might be useful in treating sepsis. Um, and we're going to talk about one of these, and that is Zygris. Uh, I'm going to go back in time a little bit to talk about my interest in sepsis and sepsis treatments. Uh, and this goes back to when I was a medical student, and I was really interested to learn that inflammation and blood clotting oftentimes go hand in hand. And in fact, I wrote a medical student thesis project uh, back in the 90s um, that gave an evolutionary rationale for why it was that evolution might have selected for inflammation and blood coagulation uh, happening uh, simultaneously. Uh, this became the basis uh, for a hypothesis that I published called hemostatic containment. Uh, and I'll post that in the show notes. And the idea is basically that blood clotting helps our bodies contain infections to sites uh, of infection that prevent them from gaining access to the central circulation and spreading to other parts of our body. In other words, coagulation or blood clotting might be good. So I went um, having some, some success with this idea and uh, talking about it at UCLA when I was a med student. I went on to residency and I found myself in my first year talking to Howard Levy and he was in charge of our intensive care rotation. So during that clerkship, uh, I learned a lot and I was um, excited to learn about procedures in intensive care. I saw plenty of patients with sepsis. Uh, but when I talked to Howard Levy about my ideas that blood clotting might be a beneficial adaptation 
uh, he had nothing good to say about that idea. In fact, he said, you know, Joe, there's a new treatment that's going to be released uh, sometime in the next couple of years uh, that shows kind of the opposite, that uh, thinning the blood or and reducing inflammation is going to cure sepsis, save lives, and maybe just the ticket. It could be, uh, I didn't say this, but it could be the magic bullet uh, that, you know, if we can find that one system that we can intervene in, we may be able to save lives with people with sepsis. And what it, what it turns out he was talking about was a medicine called Zygris. Zygris was the recombinant version of a human activated protein C. Activated protein C does a lot of things in the body. Uh, it interferes with uh, or inhibits the function of monocytes that produce tissue factor and then uh, thereby causing the coagulation cascade. It inhibits inflammation and neutrophil uh, rolling uh, in blood vessels and most importantly it uh, antagonizes or reduces the activity of factor. Uh, 8A and factor 5A, uh, making thrombin uh, less active so that fiber doesn't get deposited, so that blood doesn't clot. In other words, activated protein C or Zygris, the medication version of this, is a blood thinner and anti-inflammatory. So people were very excited uh, that perhaps this might be this, that magic bullet. If we could give recombinant activated protein C, aka Zygris, maybe this would be the thing that would really save lives. And in fact, in 2001, uh, the New England Journal published an article based on what was called the Prowess Study. And the Prowess Study looked at activated protein C. It was a trial of 1,600, almost 19, sorry, 1,700 randomized patients uh, either to uh, Zygris or placebo. And the mortality rate was 30.8% in the placebo group and was better, 24.7% in the Zygris group. So based on this, it sure looked like Howard Levy was right, uh, my instructor. Um, I was a little bit disappointed because it seemed to me that uh, if blood clotting might be a beneficial thing and an adaptation, and it sure there was plenty of circumstantial evidence to suggest that that might be the case, um, that this idea that we could thin the blood and interfere with a body's mechanism, uh, this seemed to just not be right in, in my mind. That there, you know, I, I just, I thought there must be something more to the story uh, that, that might explain the result of this New England Journal paper. Having said that, this was when I started practicing. Uh, this is what we did. Some patients that I took care of got Zygris uh, and they got a bunch of um, bundled care. We put a lot of effort into identifying people with sepsis now that we had treatment that works besides antibiotics. And it really seemed uh, to many in the intensive care community that uh, Zygris, or recombinant human activated protein C, uh, was a godsend. Uh, it turns out that the FDA approval was uh, occurred despite an even 10 to 10 split. And it was based only on this industry-sponsored study funded by Eli Lilly. And it was, the trial actually was stopped early because the results uh, seemed remarkable. Uh, there was an absolute reduction in mortality of 6%, as I mentioned, and this impressive number um, made it seem that by using Zygris, uh, the number of treat needed to treat was 17, so we could save a life uh, with every 17 patients saved. Remarkable, perhaps. Um, using Zygris was an expensive drug, cost about $7,000. Uh, but there was another economic evaluation of Zygris, published also in the New England Journal in 2002, suggesting that uh, with that impressive number needed to treat, um, 
the cost per life year gained by treating all patients with Zygaris was about $27,000. Um, maybe that's a bargain. That was the idea behind this New England Journal. Uh, other work though, uh, including study uh, published in the New England Journal uh, report uh, by one of the uh, members of the FDA panel, uh, showed that there were some red flags. And in fact, um, one of the red flags was that during that study, they changed protocols right in the middle. So they stopped uh, using their previous protocol. Uh, they uh, altered, um, uh, used a different cell line for how they were um, uh, getting their recombinant protein C. And in fact, after the amendment, uh, during the trial, the prowess trial, the original trial that showed benefit, um, the mortality benefit was far greater after they kind of changed course midstream in that study, which is sort of a weird thing and kind of uh, raised a red flag for many. But this FDA uh, panelist, uh, Jay Siegel, um, reported that, in fact, he thought that lives would be saved by using this drug. And that was uh, uh, published in 2002 in the New England Journal. But there were some naysayers in the, in the intensive care community. Peter Eichhacker was one. Uh, so in 2003, he said, hey, we need more trials. This is not enough. Um, the information that was given to the FDA from Eli Lilly based on this phase three trial really did suggest that bleeding complications are higher with the use of this blood thinner, Zygris. And they increased during the period of drug infusion. Um, so that was a significant result that uh, uh, seemed like it needed better um, to be better flushed out. He also uh, reported that you know, the mechanism of action was not well understood. And heck, we need more data before we can really go down this road. So uh, one of the post hoc analyses of the original prowess trial was that it seemed like the drug worked better in sicker patients and didn't seem to work as well in the less sick patients. This is based on the Apache 2 score. So a subsequent trial called the ADDRESS trial looked at just those patients that were less sick uh, with a low Apache 2 score, with a low risk of death. And this large trial showed, kind of surprisingly to the, the investigators, I'm sure, that there was no benefit to using Zygris. And there was more bleeding in the group that was given Zygris in this randomized control trial. One of the authors of the address trial published in the New England Journal, uh, this is in, uh, in 2005, one of the authors of this address trial was none other than Howard Levy. So my clerkship director when I was doing intensive care uh, a rotation at the University of New Mexico. So I'm sure he too was surprised that this medication wasn't as effective as perhaps once thought. So there was a lot of uh, pushback and a lot of news by the address trial. So in 2005, uh, a headline uh, suggested that study rules out Zygris in low, low death risk sepsis patients. So this really meant that we had to do patient selection more carefully. Uh, for these patients that have a lower risk of death, um, Zygris of note was of no benefit and in fact seemed to be harmful. Uh, further work looking at that same address trial uh, and a subsequent reanalysis of the prowess trial suggested there was a group also that was really at risk uh, for complications and bad outcomes when they were given Zygris. And these are patients that got a post, that were in the post-operative phase, so patients who had a recent surgery. So Lilly announced in March 18th of 2005 that Zygris might be related to a higher risk of death after surgery. Uh, so this all-cause mortality was, uh, was higher in the Zygris group compared to the placebo group. So now this uh, fantastic result with this great number needed to treat seems to be kind of falling apart. Uh, Zygris doesn't work as well 
in patients that are less sick, and Zygris does not work as well or at all. In fact, it's harmful in patients who have had a recent surgery. So, problems, little ominous uh, clouds on the horizon. Uh, there was work also going on in uh, pediatric sepsis. You know, sepsis happens to kids too. And uh, in 2005, a final um, piece of bad news for Eli Lilly was that uh, there was a big randomized controlled trial in pe the pediatric group in kids of Zygris, and uh, they stopped it for futility after interim analysis. So if you remember, the prowess study was stopped for effectiveness. This was stopped for futility. Uh, there was, um, in this group of almost 400 pediatric patients, uh, the risk rates of mortality um, was no different in the Zygris group, so it doesn't work. So here we have, doesn't work in kids, might kill patients post-op operatively, and it uh, doesn't work for patients and might harm patients who are at uh, slightly lower lower risk groups of sepsis. So a couple years later, ICACR published again um, uh, an important uh, little, it was a commentary uh, in critical care medicine. And the title of this was Separating Practice Guidelines from Pharmaceutical Marketing. So he noted, and this is also noted in New England Journal, New England Journal of Medicine Perspective, uh, that uh, there were concerns about the surviving sepsis campaign. So you, you may ask yourself, what's the surviving sepsis campaign? Well, this was a uh, initiative started by Eli Lilly, the company that makes Zygris, and its sole rationale was to encourage intensive care providers and emergency providers to use more Zygris. So he raised concerns that there were um, uh, the surviving sepsis campaign might be compromised by its association with industry and other marketing uh, efforts, and that, that really there were some questionable recommendations in the sur surviving sepsis campaign. This was a key part that I wasn't aware of uh, until I reread this article uh, published in Critical Care Medicine 2007. Uh, ICACR points out that Belcito and Company, this is a public relations firm, simultaneously worked for Eli Lilly, the surviving sepsis campaign, and the values, ethics, and rationing in critical care task force. So now we're really getting to uh, some interesting things. This, this is kind of, this is really painting Eli Lilly in a bad light. Uh, if there's a, a villain in this story, it seems to be Eli Lilly in that uh, they viewed marketing of Zygris as their primary mission for uh, what was supposed to be a evidence-based scientific um, guidelines committee, that's a surviving sepsis campaign, and uh, perhaps worse, um, and eth values and ethics and rationing in critical care task force. In other words, they were shaming people into thinking that we were doing unethical medicine by not giving Zygris. So that was rationing an expensive drug that was uh, unethical uh, to withhold this potentially life-saving drug. This was not driven by evidence, the evidence suggests. This was driven by marketing. And in fact, um, this company, a public relations firm, uh, admitted that marketing Zygris was their primary mission and that they had initiated a wide-ranging media outreach program to raise awareness of rationing, severe sepsis, and as a result to, quote, generate demand for Zygris, unquote. That is a damning statement. Uh, and I will note, a note that the surviving sepsis campaign uh, uh, some years after this became disassociated with Eli Lilly, uh, but at the time when uh, they were trying to, to vigorously market this drug under patent, uh, it uh, was a primary mission to um, 
use a public relations and media and marketing strategy that in some ways didn't look at the evidence. I found another article published in 2009, this is in Clinical Microbiology and Infection, uh, that reviewed activated protein C for severe sepsis. This is after all these, all these articles suggesting you know, possible harms. Uh, this study uh, concluded that we should still be using it, and uh, one of the authors was funded by none other than Eli Lilly. I will post that too. So enough's enough. The European Medicine Agency, which is the European version of the FDA, in the same year, 2009, they said, look, no further study has confirmed the efficacy results of a single, that single pivotal trial. This is from their report. And they had insisted on a, another trial to look at the supposed one group in which it does work. These are adults with uh, the highest risk of death, with the highest Apache 2 scores. So, uh, that was the basis um, for uh, what was the, finally the prowess shock trial. But again, this is in 2009. So I'm busy waiting for the results, thinking, okay, this is going to really settle it. This is super important. By this time, I had published um, some my hypothesis paper on hemostatic containment. And in that paper, I had said that this drug really poses a challenge to the hypothesis that blood coagulation is beneficial in serious infections. And I was anxious to get the results. I thought 2009, the results are going to be published soon. They weren't. Instead, there were a series of observational trials, I've got three on the website, uh, that all were in favor of the use of Zygris, uh, published in Critical Care Medicine, uh, and uh, there was other works, uh, which I will post on the blog, that see, purported to uh, take, uh, again, an evidence-based approach um, purported to uh, control for confounders and supported the idea that uh, using this medication Zygris was good. Lo and behold, uh, I, I was teaching a class uh, in October of 2011, my evolutionary medicine class, and I happened to notice a little uh, news report, sepsis drug Zygris pulled from worldwide market. This was on Medscape. And uh, so on October 25th, Eli Lilly is withdrawing Zygris, a drug intended to treat severe sepsis in high-risk patients from all markets, including the United States, in the wake of a new study showing that the agent did no better than a placebo in reducing mortality. I think I did a little jig and kind of, I was, I was super excited. Uh, Eli Lilly pulled the drug. Uh, this was actually months before the New England Journal article came out that, uh, that reinforced, you know, showed the results on which uh, this finding was made. But they knew they couldn't justify using this and marketing this drug anymore. 2011, that's 10 years after the original uh, prowess trial. Uh, kind of remarkable they were able to keep this drug on the market for 10 years, a drug that did not work. So this, this study, um, just, to, uh, just to give you the, the final um, denouement of this, uh, this, this idea that uh, this is worth study. Um, the New England Journal article published in 2012 uh, by Rainieri and colleagues, the Prowse Shock Study Group, found that, oops, Zygris doesn't work. There was similar mortality at 28 days, 26% Zygris versus 24% in placebo. That's the opposite of what they found in the, in the original study. The mortality at 90 days, also higher in the Zygris group, non-significantly higher, 34 versus 33%. Wow, doesn't work. And there was a, there's a great uh, um, commentary, this is on 
pulmonary and critical care medicine, their website, called Zagaris's Epitaph. Quote, I never worked a day in my life. Uh, this is worth a read. Um, have, so, remar sort of remarkable stuff. Remarkable that they managed to sell this drug. They came up with marketing campaigns, uh, funded a whole bunch of researchers and research, all based on a useless drug. Final nail down the coffin, uh, there's a series of meta-analyses. One is by Lai uh, and colleagues, uh, published in 2013, uh, looking at uh, outcomes, including uh, death. And they found that, uh, indeed, um, when you looked at the one, two, three, four, there were five randomized controlled trials, each looking at Zygris, that there was no benefit to uh, using Zygris in terms of 20-day, 28-day all-cause mortality. Other studies doing other meta-analyses looking at the bleeding outcomes suggested that life-threatening uh, bleeding was more common uh, in patients given Zygris. So, doesn't help, does hurt, therefore we shouldn't use it. So you'd think that'd be the end of Zygris. Um, there's a pub study uh, published a couple years ago um, in the BMJ uh, by Zhang, uh, who did a Bayesian approach, who wanted to incorporate some of those observational evidence into the randomized controlled trials, and he concludes that, in fact, Zygris does work. Uh, this study, thankfully, has been ignored. And But I should mention that there have been, there's been a, a variety of, of studies still look kind of parsing this evidence and looking at people do not want to abandon the idea that uh, this medication, which seemed so promising, they didn't want to abandon it. Uh, and in fact, the surviving sepsis campaign still exists. Uh, there was a bundle of uh, therapies that included Zygris originally. It's been dropped, but that bundled therapy still is promoted by the surviving sepsis campaign. I looked on their website today. It's still there. Again, this is the group that was funded and started by Eli Lilly in order to sell their drug. Uh, turns out the evidence base for that was non-existent. Um, surviving sepsis has been criticized, uh, despite they're, they're no longer being associated with um, Eli Lilly. But let's get back to this idea that using anti-inflammatory drugs and anticoagulation drugs is useful in sepsis. This has been looked at. It's been looked at in great detail. And there's work by Marshall in a publication, Trends in Molecular Medicine, published in 2014, that looked at all of the biologic response modifiers in sepsis. These are things that decrease inflammation or decrease coagulation, uh, with different targets, and he's got a long list of them here, uh, a variety that, 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 uh, of agents that purportedly decrease inflammation and coagulation. Um, there's a bunch. They, they don't work. So the toll-like receptor antagonist erotorin doesn't work in phase three trials. Uh, there have been um, tissue factor inhibitors, antithrombin-3 inhibitors, uh, a variety of other agents that antagonize interleukin-1 and tum tumor necrosis factor, the target endotoxin or different eicosanoids or nitric oxide. The thing that all these things, all these trials have in common is that ultimately they failed to work in humans. So uh, Marshall uh, argues, I think, that a different way of approaching this problem is needed. So we don't, we shouldn't use the same old tired uh, assumptions and and thinking about this problem because that has led to just failure after failure after failure. So, uh, a, a recent article about the failure of anti TNF alpha and sepsis um, had this quotation: 
uh, which was attributed to Sir Winston Churchill, and it goes like so. Success is the ability to go from one failure to another with no loss of enthusiasm. Another way of saying this, doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting a different result, is the definition of insanity. So perhaps we should abandon this, this uh, search for magic bullets in uh, sepsis. But I did a search this morning. In fact, here's another uh, article uh, published this year, 2016, uh, in PLOS One, in which they, they looked at blockade of thrombopoietin, and they claim it reduces organ damage in experimental sepsis. Thrombopoietin increases uh, platelet activity and uh, uh, is thought to be in the, um, important in the pathway that leads to blood clotting. So here's an anti-clotting agent. Guess what? might work in experimental uh, settings. I'm willing to put money, good money, uh, betting this is not gonna work in uh, human sepsis. So what does this mean? It means that we've wasted a, a crap ton of time and money looking at activated protein C in particular and anti-inflammatory and anticoagulation agents in general. I just did a PubMed search this morning. There were, um, with the search terms activated protein C and sepsis, we get 1,333 results. That's a lot of wasted money and time and effort into something that doesn't work. So what does this mean for evolution? Well, maybe instead of thinking about these kinds of adjustments that occurred during sepsis as maladaptive and harmful, perhaps a different underlying hypothesis of uh, physiology is important. And that is to think that maybe these uh, adjustments in immune functioning and in coagulation are indeed beneficial under certain circumstances to the organism and may actually help promote survival uh, or promoted survival in an evolutionary context. That's a different hypothesis. That is one which is supported by both the evidence and an evolutionary point of view. And it does suggest that looking for these alterations that occur during sepsis and then trying to normalize them. So activated protein C is low in sepsis and so we try to bring it up. That approach seems to be unhelpful and probably harmful. If you look at it again from the, the, the uh, opportunity costs that we've, we've, we've lost a decade, and Eli Lilly profited during that decade using and studying this medication, which was ineffective. That is money and time that could have been better spent. There could have been lives saved had we used a more evolutionary, nuanced approach that is more skeptical of the idea that these kinds of uh, agents and interventions are going to make us better. And I'm going to leave you just with one thought. Um, it turns out that uh, in that original trial, um, they, they discovered that patients that have a mutation called Factor V Leiden um, actually seem to do maybe a little bit better uh, in that Prowess trial, um, kind, of, kind of remarkably. Uh, what, active, what Factor V Leiden is, it's a mutation in, in a protein C function. Um, and heterozygotes uh, have been, uh, it's been proposed that heterozygotes for this mutation may actually do better. Uh, there's been several studies of which I will post a couple, uh, but a recent study, this is published just uh, uh, well, a year ago in June, um, suggests there was a survival advantage for heterozygote factor V Leiden carriers. Again, this is a mutation that uh, affects protein C activity, that they, the survival advantage um, confers uh, you know, better survival, fewer deaths in murine, that is mouse sepsis. So this is an experimental model. So maybe... Uh, this mutation is maintained in the population because of its advantages in sepsis. That is a hypothesis worth testing. And it's also an evolutionary idea, the idea of balancing selection. So 
again, an evolutionary approach might be better uh, to come up with novel ways of approaching problems like sepsis. And with that, I will encourage you to enjoy the rest of your 4th of July, and uh, we'll see you next time.